You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world. This is Tracy Murdo with Future Tech Podcast, and today I have a very exciting guest, Enrico, Enrique Cubio. Enrique, tell us a little bit about your, your title and your companies. I don't want to slaughter it, and I think uh, you do your, your best uh, representation probably <laughs> coming from you. Okay, Tracy. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for having me on the, on the Future Tech Podcast. Um, it's lovely to be here. I, I am a transport sport advocate, and that sounds a little wordy, but this is very simple. There's, there's sports education that we provide our young people, and some of those sports will recreate, and some of those sports will recreate, plus they will commute. They will, they will serve as, as, as transportation skill sets. I guess the easiest one um, would, be, would be like, say, inline skating or cycling. And that's the beauty of hockey, for instance, right? So if you learn hockey, you know how to skate and you'll be able to keep skating later. I'm also the innovator of a set of movements called spike boarding, which is cross-country skiing on a skateboard. And we're going to talk about that. And I am, of course, the CEO of Sussoy, which is a manufacturing company um, and also a publishing company that um, teaches spike boarding and produces the equipment for spike boarding. I want to start off by talking first about transport sports. I mean, it's it's not something that I think everyone's familiar with, and I would like to get your idea on what exactly does that mean. Sure. Um, we're actually familiar with it, but we're familiar with it in reverse. So what I mean is that there's an absence. There's an absence of American society teaching recreation K-12 to um, that recreates and commutes. So just go ahead and open the paper, or go to CNN Sports or any place, and the sports are going to be the big four. They're going to be hockey and baseball and basketball and uh, football. And of course, there's a little tennis and golf, of course, but those are the lists and that's what people expect to see. And that's what people get taught when, when they're young. And, um, you know, the intro, when Richard Jacobs gives the intro um, uh, to the Future Tech Podcast, he speaks about thorny medical problems. <laughs> that we're going to speak about. And the fact is that the human body, the human body has no automatic button, but it was, we sort of promised everybody an automatic button in the 20th century and that there would be uh, everything simplified, made easy. And that continues on and we connect with artificial intelligence. But with the body, there's no automatic button. And the body either moves and has load applied to it or it doesn't. And then the body is going to react in one way or another. So if you want to have your body metabolizing well, what you eat is very important. What you, what you drink, how you hydrate is very important. And then, of course, the consequence of eating and drinking is human movement or the lack of it 
And the lack of it leads to calorie in, calorie out. You gain weight. So how we move really matters a great deal. We send our, our, our youth to school, and then we teach them primarily 90% recreation that doesn't become transportation. And, of course, that's, that's the essence of, of imagining, hey, um, you know, why do adults become sedentary? And they become sedentary mostly because they, don't, they haven't been taught a language that then they can use when they're older to go out on a Monday morning or say a Wednesday afternoon and engage and speak to their bodies. And that's, that's a sort of theory about transport sports. So then you gotta, you gotta say, well, which, which uh, movements are they in specific and how, how, how do we learn them? So for instance, let me ask you, um, uh, Tracy, uh, can you think of one or two transport sports that you might know uh, a little bit? Well, I think, uh, I mean, for myself and my children, you know, we do rollerblading and uh, I guess bicycling. I'm, I'm not sure if that falls into mm-hmm. the category. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, cycling is the queen of all transport sports. And when I say the queen and the most important, it's because for its weight as a machine, it can carry uh, way more as a ratio than a car. So a car weighs a lot, but it doesn't carry quite as much as, say, you know, a 14-pound bicycle. Um, but the cycling is challenging to use as a sport to teach in high school because it doesn't offer strength, endurance, plus balance, and core development. It offers strength, and it offers endurance, and it offers a lot of endurance, a tremendous amount of endurance. We teach high school bicycle racing. The football coach is going to say, you've given me too much endurance. I don't need that much endurance. I need more core and I need more uh, full functional strength. I need bilateral limb development. I need hand-eye coordination. And that's where a sport like spikeboarding actually delivers all those things. And what I'm seeking to begin to educate people is that by teaching spikeboarding uh, just as an off-season sport, so unstructured, just give it to young people. And what I mean by give it is we give all sports. So you, you'll see a father a, a, a daughter, uh, with a daughter or a son and however, and the parents have played a sport and you'll see, they'll dress them up even for fun, very young in those uniforms. And there is a, there's passing along a tradition to play these sports. And so we do actually structurally teach a lot of sports without them necessarily, you know, being at school, um, for instance, say, I don't know, water ski and all kinds of things and hunting, those things don't, aren't in schools, but we still structure them and teach them. So I'm not necessarily saying that we need to begin spikeboarding uh, in high school as a team. We just begin to teach kids uh, at very young ages in their neighborhoods, and it's going to happen. And the, the one transport sport that people don't really realize much at all that is in um, our presence constantly is the scooter. So your kids scooter, I'm sure, right? Uh, they're a little young for that yet, but yeah, they will. Okay. <laughs> Everyone else sure, right. does. Right. So just imagine the entire first world, all their kids are on scooters. But by age six, more than likely, they're giving up on scootering. And certainly, even when they're being taught scootering, they may not be getting taught to kick the scooter with both legs, because that's just something that is... Um, not done that much. We don't see it that much. So when we think of kicking with both legs and then we go to try it with one, with one leg, we say, Oh, one leg is, is, uh, is more challenging than the other. And then we might not do it. 
So kids might not necessarily tend to kick with both legs. They say, oh, well, it's easier with one. And then by age six, kids kind of give up um, the scooter and the parents have no idea that the scooter is connected to spike boarding because spike boarding, of course, has just been born. Um, and all that it is is everything cross-country skiing has ever been brought onto um, a skateboard. And so people can see this uh, sport and see this explanation very simply. If they go to spikeboarding.com and watch the very first video that says, what is spikeboarding? So I'm curious, have you seen that video, Tracy? I have, yeah. I saw quite a few videos that were on the website, um, like we were just talking off line here some were yeah. a little daunting looking to me um but overall i mean it looks like a very you know doable sport sure oh yeah absolutely but in particular to that that very first video with the scooter um where you mm -hmm. see roller skiing and you see the scootering and then you see the spike right. boarding um what's occurred is just that that waist up millions of people worldwide are cross-country skiing waist down millions of people are kicking a scooter and therein lies the uh birth of spike boarding you just say to yourself well if waist up you're skiing and waist down you're kicking a skateboard and a board is a board with wheels is a board with wheels then you could ski on a skateboard and then of course kicking and simultaneously spiking and then switching back and forth becomes a new form of human propulsion. And if you begin to teach this, it lasts forever. It, it lasts from age three, way past age 55. And of course, the wonderful part about this transport sport, which obviously you could commute, say three to five miles to work and back every day, um, is that initially when it's recreation, it can help you win hockey games. It can help you win football games. It can also help you win any sort of the field games but it's also going to address um, a great deal of the single sport use issues that are happening uh, right now. So um, pediatric orthopedic surgeons will tell you that there's just far too much uh, single sport use and kids need to cross train. And of course, cross country skiing operates strength, endurance, plus balance. There's never really been a sport that's ever done that before uh, or since that operated so just imagine running a marathon, only you have to pay attention to the navigational uh, qualities of balancing yourself, and that's cross-country skiing. And what we as Americans don't know, most people may not have even realized, that this year at the 2018 Olympics, Jesse Diggins and Keegan Randall, two uh, American female Olympians, won gold medals in cross-country skiing. And they roller ski 70% of the year. They roller ski. I'm going to repeat this. Wow. But we as Americans, we don't grow up with roller ski. We don't know that it exists at NCAA. It exists at Olympic level. It exists at a World Cup level. So cross-country roller skiing has existed for 30 years. And they're boards and wheels, one on each foot, one board on each foot, wheels at both ends. And they're engaging with the pavement with a carbide spike tip. That's what's at the end of their ski poles. And so once you realize that, now does that does that roller skiing ring a bell when you saw that first video? Do you remember that? Yeah. So I'm curious then what is the, the difference or benefit then on, between that and spike boarding? boarding? Just because, yeah, I'm just curious sure. because you're using both of the legs. Sure, of course. Absolutely. So remember that when you're roller skiing, um, and let me ask you, had you ever seen roller skiing before? You know, I probably have. I just maybe didn't 
like didn't register that it wasn't, you know, something common. It was just kind of in passing, but um, not, sure. not as, you know, clearly as me watching it, the video yesterday. Just, mm -hmm. Yeah. But again, it's very curious that we have NCAA uh, cross country skiing and all those skiers roller ski 70% of the year. And we have Olympic and we have world cup skiers and they all roller ski, but I could be in Manhattan. I live in Manhattan, New York, and I could be roller skiing <laughs> and people will ask me, what are you doing? And they'll ask me, have you invented that? And I'll say, this is cross country skiing, like at the Olympics. And no, I didn't invent cross, cross country roller skiing. And by the way, if people want to see me roller skiing, there's a very uh, fun website called Ski Harlem, skiharlem.com. You'll see me roller skiing. And why Harlem? Well, when you come to Manhattan, you'll see the topography. It's flat downtown and it's hilly once you get to about 125th Street. And then those hills are the essence of cross country skiing. So that's the difference between downhill and cross country skiing, that cross country skiers go uphill. And really the, the, the essence of spike boarding is to go uphill. The skateboard's always been gone downhill. And so to get to your question in regards to why spike boarding over roller ski, because um, I could tell you that if we were able to nationalize roller skiing from Miami, to San Diego and Seattle and Kansas and, and back, um, the same set of circumstances for lifelong health would occur and the same amount of uh, conditioning would go up for baseball, basketball, football players, uh, only this would be the big difference. It would be as if we asked everybody to swim butterfly. So do you know the stroke of butterfly in swimming? No, I'm afraid I do not. I mean, I know what it oh. is. I, I personally just don't. No, but you've seen it. You've seen it. You've seen Michael yeah, Phelps swimming butterfly? Okay. Absolutely. So the, the butterfly stroke it was invented in 1930, between 1933 and 1935. And for your listeners um, who want to check that out, just wiki, butterfly stroke, wiki. And then you'll see the history. Uh, the all, all, all of the three strokes, which are front crawl, and breaststroke and backstroke, those strokes were all so ancient that there's no point of origin. But butterfly is the youngest stroke. And of course, swimming butterfly is the most complicated stroke. And it's the most challenging stroke. If you were to have a swim program, and there's swim programs just about in every high school in the country and college, and, and said, we're going to start with butterfly. That's the swim program. Hi, kids. Welcome. Going to learn butterfly, and you'd have a very small swim program. That's just, that's just what would happen. That's roller skiing. Roller skiing is the highest challenge of human propulsion going forward. It's a very challenging set of, of, of uh, human movements to do on roller skis. You're connected at your toes. Your heels are not bound to the skis, but you must learn it if you're going to want to be a good cross-country skier on snow. So that's roller ski. Suddenly enter spikeboarding, which delivers the same amount of output, the same amount of core engagement, the same amount of lat in the back and full body, also an element of balance, but far more casual. Spikeboarding is incredibly casual. You don't have tips that you can cross. That's a really, really big difference. You don't have ski boots on that are bound to the board that can, you know, if you fall, even at slow speeds, you're going to tangle up your knees and your ankles quite a bit. But it's an apple and an orange. There's no, you know, one is better than the other. Spikeboarding is a very casual way to cross-country ski, something that you could use in any city. I spikeboard all over Manhattan, 
San Diego, St. Louis, in places where I would never want to be roller skiing and in places where I might roller ski, but it just would be very tenuous. It wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be casual. It just wouldn't be that fun. So again, if you're going to get athletes to do things, you need to make it extremely fun. And that's probably the biggest quality that spikeboarding has going for it is that it's insanely fun because you're on a board. And if you redefine what spikeboarding is, it's skateboarding. So when you get on a board and you carve down a hill, your feet are perpendicular to the board and you're carving, you turn sideways, that's skateboarding. When you turn your foot forward and it's parallel with the board and you're kicking the board and your nose is over your knee, and your knee is over your toes, and you're balancing over a center line and you're kicking away, that's skating. It's the same as any figure skater, speed skater. Skating is to glide with your nose over your knees, your knees over your toes. And then, of course, you switch back and forth on both legs. And then, of course, spikeboarding is skiing. A waist up, all of the movements are verbatim directly taken from cross-country skiing. So suddenly we have this sport. It can help you win football games. It can help you win soccer games. In soccer, it's going to help you develop double footers. When you were watching the videos, you noticed the legs were moving back and forth, Tracy? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, take a look at soccer and ask yourself why mm. the men and women who make the most money, why do they? They're double footers. No one's really you know, been able to figure out exactly how to produce higher incidences of double footedness in the world's most popular sport. Take a look at spikeboarding and watch how the legs go back and forth in constant, constant uh, rhythmical pattern that's affecting bilateral neurological system in your brain. So before I started doing spikeboarding and I wasn't switch kicking on a board, uh, I'm sure that my brain was very different. So longitudinally, if there's any researchers out there that want to start a study uh, with unstructured spikeboarding, very young people, and how it's going to affect double-footedness in, uh, in the world's most popular sport, hey, I'd love to hear from them. Um, I, I certainly know that's one of the things that spikeboarding practice made national amongst uh, soccer players is going to do. It's going to raise double-footedness. But most importantly, when soccer's done, when football's done, when baseball is done, right now we've got a system that we've designed and we, we're just not perceiving what occurs because ultimately what occurs is then we're standing there and the society says, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, the former athlete from the University of, from the pro team, former athlete. And we don't even stop for one moment to ask ourselves, what have we just described this person as a former athlete? But of course, they are former athletes to them. But that's not what I see. What I see is people who have studied a long time and only been taught field sport. So spikeboarding is an amazing sport that can be strength and conditioning all the field sports. And when you're done with the field sports, you speak that language. Does that resonate? Do you see where I'm do you see where I'm going? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, for instance, if you had uh, the ability to teach your child Mandarin uh, at a very young age, I'm sure you'd agree that that would be uh, optimal. Of course. Absolutely. What an advantage in life. That's what happened to me when I was young. So when I was young, if I spoke to you in Spanish, I'm a first generation right off the Pan Am jet plane, 1967, to this country. And I was very young. I was age two. So I had the benefit of being taught perfect Spanish and 
perfect English. My, my consciousness doesn't have a recollection of either speaking one language or another. I'll tell you, I have to admit, I'm, I'm a bit of a, of a lazy American, uh, so to speak, in regards to languages. I never learned another language, and I thought it was challenging. I thought French was challenging. I took German. Never really applied myself. Never really learned that much. Why? Well, I spoke English, and I did speak Spanish as well. But I will tell you, it's the ultimate free launch to be taught um, a language. Then as I got a little older, at age 30, I started racing road bikes uh, semi-professionally here out of New York City. And after about three or five years, suddenly dawned on me the level of education that the sport had provided me. So, and that's, that's evident when you have pro athletes or D1 athletes that retire. They know the sport so intimately that they can actually work with the sport and they can sell the sport and they can educate the sport and they could coach the sport. If they hadn't been taught that, they don't know the ins and outs. So riding a bicycle is very different than performance. And you might say, oh, how so? Because a lot of people in New York are now riding bicycles. And then the Dutch and, and of course, uh, the Danes, they're all very proud that they ride bicycles. They have green transportation systems, so to speak. Okay, it's flat there. Wherever it's flat, everyone's going to ride a bike. So if you go to the beach and they're renting bicycles, just about anyone who's ever learned to ride a bike can ride a bike. Well, the whole rest of the country has many places where there's hills. The moment you have a hill, either you've been taught how to switch the gears and you know how to put the power through the pedals, or more likely you're going to say, hey, you know, this is a little inconvenient. You know, it's a little inconvenient going seven, eight miles on this bicycle. And I wouldn't ever fault anybody for that. Because, for instance, if you said to me, hey, you know, go shopping and find directions in Norwegian, I'd say, well, it's going to be a little inconvenient. <laughs> I don't know Norwegian. So we begin to realize the theory of transport sports, which is if you've been taught a physical literacy, you can use a physical literacy to speak to your body. And which one can actually help the high school coach? Bingo. Bikeboarding can help it immediately. Performance cycling can't. Although what's lovely is that mountain biking has um, begun to be nationalized a little bit in high schools. Uh, out of Northern California, they started and a little bit in Colorado. And it's actually reached all the way uh, to a small school here um, in New York uh, called Storm King School. They're right near West Point Military Academy um, here on the East Coast. So I don't know how many other places in between, but cycling, um, mountain bike cycling, you use a lot of gears and you actually need to really, really know performance cycling, which doesn't necessarily mean you have to race. So performance and racing, uh, you know, they're two different things. Racing is just an entry fee, rules, and uh, you pin a number on. Uh, but performance cycling, that just means, you know, you can you understand how to take the, the power from your body and put it into the bicycle and perform well. And so that's that's um, that's the whole notion of transport sport theory. Um, is that does that seem uh, like you would understand it or people listening might understand? Have I missed yeah, anything? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, um, what's sort of your your plan and what is your way of getting the word out and getting the education out? Where are you? Uh, you know, featuring spikeboarding and, and all of the education and knowledge that can go with it. Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, spikeboarding is an incubation, I like to say, and really the whole theory of transport sport is sort of an incubation as well. Um, but it, it has begun to gather press uh, uh, very, very quickly, and some of it, you know, rather large. Um, you can see it at spikeboarding.com. And of course, if you go to our YouTube um, channel, you're going to see all kinds of videos, and some of them start on land, just dry land, um, without being on the board. 
And so there's a great deal of education that you can teach yourself spike boarding the same way as I taught myself flat water stand up paddling or inline speed skating. There's many videos online. If you watch them diligently, you become a student. You can you can learn you can learn spike boarding just offline. Um, but certainly you can just call us as, as well. And we're beginning to give clinics um, from San Diego all the way to New York and, and St. Louis as well. Um, and if you want to know more about transport sport theory, uh, we're going to get a website up going called transportsport.org. And we welcome people um, once we get that site up and sort of put up the theory to reach out to us, people who are interested in um, um, whether that be obesity or gender rights or um, civil rights or um, not civil rights, but more racial relations. I could explain a little bit about transport sport and how that works. And of course, for climate change and sustainability. So transportsport.org will end up becoming a very uh, think tank kind of thing, something along lines of like, uh, oh, you know, what they want to do at the Aspen Institute. So people who have new ideas about how to design the society. But if you say, oh, well, how can transport sport help race? Well, Transport sports happen on open roads. There's no field. So in other words, if you take a bunch of people and you play field sports in one zip code, but right nearby, there's other people playing field sport. They're playing the same sport, but they may never share their childhood together. And so the transport sports are open road, open path. You share your childhood together. And that's how they can affect a great deal of change as well. And in regards to gender, at 13, you know, young people begin to deviate their paths. And of course, appearance begins to play a great deal uh, into both genders' minds. And transport sports are very different. So both genders play both all transport sports. And performance is much more important than appearance. So that will affect gender. In regards to gender, there's no women in the world that are spikeboarding. So um, that's a very interesting thing. And I guess the other thing for promoting the sport, I've been going up some very big mountains the same way that skiers do, roller skiers do, professional roller skiers do in Europe. And I've summited Whiteface Mountain. I've summited Tamalpais, Mount Tamalpais, that's in Marin County. Whiteface is in New York, of course, up at Lake Placid. Uh, Lookout Mountain in Denver, Colorado. Um, Gray, Greylock, which is the highest point of Massachusetts. High Point, New Jersey, that's the highest point in New Jersey. I've summited all these climbs. And I've done it exactly like you would in cross-country skiing. And I've actually cross-country roller skied up a couple of them as well. But there's an $8,000 King of Mountain prize uh, for men who would like to come and uh, develop themselves and get into um, King of Mountain racing and spikeboarding. And this is a good part. There's an equal $8,000 prize for women to begin to compete amongst themselves. So that's a very interesting thing that the sport can do because it's being born today. And so we know what the proper thing to do is in sports um, with men and women, and that is to have equal play and equal pay. So I guess that's probably the biggest thing. So where are there some, um, some dedicated endurance athletes? We know that there's so many people out there, and we know that spikeboarding is very new, and that's the only thing that's holding some people back. Um, but sometimes when people look at the, the sport, they say, oh, my goodness. And so we just refer back to, you know, Boston Marathon, Ironman, um, you know, all these other sports are very challenging. So when things are new, sometimes people think they're impossible. And that's only because of their perception. They're, they don't see it every day and therefore suddenly becomes impossible. If I was to show you pole vaulting for the very first time ever, even at a low distance, even it'll even say, I don't know, 15 feet, you'd say, oh my God, nobody's ever going to do that. 
but of course pole vaulting is in every single high school except in Alaska. And you might say, well, why is it in Alaska? Well, pole vaulting is dangerous. So there's, you know, one person dies every year in pole vaulting in this country. So for some reason or other, they banned it out of high schools in Alaska. I'm not quite sure. Interesting. I would have never yeah. known that. Yeah. Well, so- that's, that's the world I live in, which is human movement, kinesiology, kinetics. And we never think about that ever. Like, can you explain to me three human propulsions that we are born with naturally? We start, we're born, you're nine months old, you want to go forward. What happens? You start to crawl. crawl. Right. Next, walk. Eventually, you, Next. you hope they walk. And then run. Running's pretty quick. Right. Running happens by age three. Tracy, everything else has to be first invented. Invented. Like, cycling has to be invented. It's not, no one just naturally cycles. Skiing has to be invented. Skating had to be invented. The four performance strokes of swimming had to be invented. And then we have to teach people, each human that comes to this world has to be taught all those human movements. On land, this will be a tricky one. It's a hard one to get. I'll tell it to you and your listeners. What's the most challenging way to propel a body on land? Skating backwards on wheels. Right? So a C-cut. It's called a C-cut. So a figure skater. And so notice how before when I told you that roller skiing is the highest challenge, moving the body forward, right? But human propulsion is human propulsion. So skating backwards is the most challenging way to propel a body on land and in water, butterfly swimming. And there's very few human propulsions. There's so, there was 27 until I arrived, and I've added three, stand-up spike, kubi cross, and inside kubi cross. Those three strokes, technically, polished down into their form as you see them now. Before I made them, they didn't exist, but they existed separated, right? Just cut the body in half and the Nordic cross-country moves lived in the Nordic cross-country skiing world and waist down the scooter kick and the skateboard kick lived over there, but they need to get connected. Once they get connected, you add three new human propulsion strokes that can be practiced, that everybody can do, and which deliver strength, endurance, and balance. Those are the three mechanisms of fitness. The fourth would be flexibility. So that's how you define fitness, strength, endurance, balance, flexibility. And you might also say a mental component, right? Because that's how it all sort of ties together. The mind has to be there. But something needs to to activate those things. Um, And again, I'll just review for you again. You're a swimmer. You're not touching on balance. You are cyclists. You're not touching on balance. You're running. You know, all those things have a minuscule amount of balance, not that much. The skaters, they all have balance. That's the wonderful thing about um, the field sport of hockey. Again, you're having balance. Most people will say, I don't have balance. Well, you weren't born with it. Nobody's born with an ability to play the piano. You have to practice it and develop it. Bingo. So spikeboarding, skiing, inline skating, the degree to which you aren't implementing a little bit of balance in your life after age 30 or 40 is the degree to which you're just going to, your body is going to begin to acclimate to less fitness. Well, Enrique, I, this has been incredibly enlightening and I'm sure our listeners can all agree. If you would um, give us the website one more time before we go and, and again, your contact information, what's the best way for folks who are interested in trying this out and learning more about it, um, including all the kinesiology behind it. Uh, sure, where absolutely. can they go to find you? Well, they just go to spike boarding.com 
and all the contact information comes to me and they just click on YouTube and begin to watch the YouTube uh, channels and that'll help them learn spikeboarding. And all those social uh, designers or progressive brands who want to know more about transport sport, we'll get that up at transportsport.org soon. But contact me through spikeboarding and there's tons, tons of stuff to learn there for sure. Congratulations on all of this. This is incredibly exciting for you. I wish you a great year and some great successes and progress in getting the word out. Tracy, thanks so much for having me on the Future Tech Podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, and hopefully you'll you'll uh, come back one or two years later and we'll, we'll give you an update. Awesome. 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 I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Enrique. And we look forward to seeing where you all go this year. Hey, thanks a lot, Tracy. Have a good one. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.